Your brain needs support, and new Ollie Brainy Chews are a delightful way to take care of your cognitive health. Made with scientifically backed ingredients like Thai ginger, L theanine, and caffeine, Brainy Chews support healthy brain function and help you find your focus, stay chill, or get energized. Be kind to your mind and get these nootropic chews at ollie.com. That's O-L-L-Y.com. These statements have not been evaluated by the Food and Drug Administration. This product is not intended to diagnose, treat, cure, or prevent any disease. Hello, believers, non-believers, and everyone in between. You're listening to Stories with Sapphire. I am Sapphire Sandalo. Now get cozy and open your mind because it's story time. For as long as I can remember, I've always had extremely vivid dreams. But over the last few years, as I've been developing my personal spiritual practice, my dreams have started to feel beyond real. I don't know how else to explain it, but it's partly due to the fact that I've gotten really good at realizing that I'm dreaming while I'm dreaming. It allows me to explore the dream with control and a sense of purpose. This practice is known as lucid dreaming. It's an absolute trip, and I highly recommend trying it. So I'll often revisit the same places in my dreams. Some are locations that don't exist in real life, but I've seen them so many times that it feels like they do. One of the places that I continuously visit in my dreams is my grandma's house. It always looks and feels exactly as it does in real life sometimes with additional secret rooms. And if you recall the dream I had a while ago where I woke up and heard a woman singing in my room, I was dreaming about my grandma's house right before that happened. Anyway, a few weeks ago, I was having one of these vivid, realistic dreams in my grandma's house. I was standing in the hallway outside of her bedroom, and the door opened, and out walked a man who looked just like my grandpa. He passed in 2020, so when I saw him, I knew I was dreaming, and I thought, oh, it's Grandpa, and I tried to catch his attention. But as he walked past me, I got a closer look at his face. It was in a deep scowl, almost as if he were wearing a mask of his own face that was molded into an extreme frown. It caught me off guard. My Grandpa was the happiest, cutest little man. I couldn't even picture him scowling like that. And I remember thinking, Oh, no, 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 that is not Grandpa. I had a really uncomfortable feeling when I woke up. The man that I saw didn't do anything, but it weirded me out enough to let my cousin know, since they were currently living with my grandma. I texted them, and we were talking about what it could possibly mean, and coming to the conclusion that it might have been nothing more than a creepy dream. But then, they told me that their dog was acting strange. She was barking at grandma's bedroom door. Not her usual happy morning bark and wag. Her hair was raised and she was growling. My cousin was trying to calm her down, but she wouldn't stop. She seemed seriously agitated by something. The timing of it all gave me the chills. Was the dog barking at the grandpa impersonator that I saw? 
My dreams never really raise my suspicions until they line up with something in my waking reality, which makes me wonder, are the concepts of dream realms and alternate realities more real than we've been taught to believe? That's what we'll be discussing in today's episode. First, I tell the tale of a woman who was transported to another time period in her backyard. Then, I share a story of a young girl who inexplicably disappeared. Next, I recount the time a young woman unknowingly slipped into the past. And finally, I narrate an account of a mysterious man who wreaked havoc on a small village in Mexico. Chapter 1. Backyard Witch Hunt. Submitted by Nola. Hello, Sapphire. I'm really nervous about writing this because I've never actually had the courage to submit anything on the internet, and I may or may not regret this eventually, but here goes nothing. I hope you enjoy it. It was the early mid-90s. My parents had temporarily stayed at my father's teeny tiny village in the Netherlands. That house always gave off eerie vibes, from the creaking wood in the living room to the stairs covered in cobwebs and the smell of cheap lavender oil roaming the house. My paternal grandfather was a bit more in touch with the thought that spirits and ghosts may exist, compared to my grandmother. She completely denied that they existed and, frankly, was scared of them. My mother, on the other hand, was a witch before being a witch was cool. She practiced voodoo, and, according to her, it worked both times she tried it. She even got possessed at some point, and often tells me about how she can see figures like ghosts and shadows. One night, my mother went to sleep in the upstairs bedroom. She awoke in the middle of the night, but it was one of those vivid dreams where you're not sure if you're dreaming or actually awake. It was made even more confusing because she was still in the same room, However, the wall in front of her was ripped off, like someone tore the wall completely out of its place. And there was now a staircase leading to the backyard. She could hear loud noises outside, so she got out of bed and went down the stairs and outside. There were men and women wearing clothes from the 1600s, and they were all chanting and holding lit torches around the middle of the garden, which had a massive, tall log standing high with a woman tied to it, her agony-filled screams echoing across the empty village. A man was staring at my mother with soulless, empty eyes and screaming at her in a language she couldn't understand. Then suddenly... The dream ended. The next morning, she told my grandfather about the dream. He sat her down by the table in the living room and explained to her why this could have happened. He told her that this village had a history of accusing women of being witches and then burning them alive in the backyard of this house. My mother's heart sank to her stomach. The room's temperature seemed to have dropped astronomically as these words left my now equally terrified grandfather's mouth. It was clear that he was completely serious about what he said. Several decades have passed, and my mother still refuses to fly back to the Netherlands, even before the whole pandemic started. It may be because of her fear of flying or her poor relationship with her mother-in-law, 
but it also may be because of the witch-burning spirits that still haunt that house. She hasn't touched witchcraft since. Nola's grandfather was able to confirm what her mother saw in her vision, which is what makes this story so intriguing. She was somehow able to tap into this moment from the past. But was she simply observing what had already happened, like a movie? Or was she now part of the memory? Maybe the man was yelling at her because he could tell she didn't belong to this timeline. Or maybe she was viewing the scene as one of the accused witches. There's no way to know for sure. But considering how Nola's mother never stepped foot there again and stopped practicing witchcraft, it looks like the energies from the past successfully got rid of this witch. Chapter 2. We Never Saw Her Again. Submitted by Emily. Hi, Sapphire. I have been a fan of your show for quite some time, and I wanted to tell you something eerie that happened when I was in seventh grade. In Canada, where I live, high school is 7th to 11th grade, so when I went into 7th, it was a whole new school, new people, and new teachers. I've always had trouble making friends, but on the first day of school, I did make one. Her name was Kate. She was pretty weird, but good company. My school was next to a park that had a lake in the center with a path surrounding it. In my first gym class, our teacher walked around the path with us, showing us where we would be running in our future classes. The path was mostly straight, but had one turn where you had to go right. Our teacher made sure that every student was aware of the turn. The next gym class arrived, and everyone ran around the path. When I got to the turn, I went right, but I did see some people go left. But I didn't say anything and figured they would get back on track later. When I got back to the park, my teacher was there waiting, along with a few other kids, the sporty kids. I did recognize some of them as the kids who went left at the turn. It was reassuring to know that if I had made a mistake and gone left, I would have found my way back. A few more minutes passed and more of the kids had returned. We had around 20 minutes left of gym class, which I was very excited to be over since I hate running. Everyone was comparing their running time with their friends. I thought, oh, I should do that with Kate. I looked around the field, but she hadn't returned yet. I thought, okay, we still have around 15 minutes left. 15 turned to 10, then five, and still no sight of her. By this point, everyone in the class had returned, except for Kate. My gym teacher started looking worried and called over the other gym teachers that were in the field with us. All the kids started whispering, trying to figure out what was going on. I was super confused. Our teacher ended up sending us back to class without any explanation. It was all anyone could talk about when we got back to school. What happened to Kate? Last period came and went, and Kate still hadn't returned. The next day at school, we were told that Kate was fine and that we wouldn't be seeing her again because she transferred to a new school. We kept pressing the teachers for more information because everything they were telling us made no sense, and we could tell that they didn't want us to keep talking about it. 
No one else in my class ever spoke to or saw Kate ever again. To this day, I still have no idea what school she transferred to or what really happened on that path. What freaks me out about this story are all the unknowns. Were the teachers trying to protect the kids from knowing the grisly truth of what happened? Or did they really not know themselves? How is it possible that no one in that school ever knew exactly what happened to Kate? I can imagine as a kid, your mind might turn to paranormal conclusions. How else do you explain one of your classmates suddenly vanishing from your life? But then you remember that real people can make kids vanish too. What do you think happened to Kate? The stories continue after the break. And now, the stories continue. Chapter 3, Black Star Canyon, submitted by Jocelyn. Hi, Sapphire. It's Jocelyn again. I sent in the story, Is She With Me or In Me, in Season 6, Episode 1. I finally listened to that episode, and I love how you concluded it. Things are getting a lot easier for me now that I've accepted who I am. So this event happened around 10 or so years ago, but the memory still lives on in my mind as one of the oddest occurrences I have experienced with little explanation. I was at home trying to figure out what I was going to do with my evening until my then wife came home from work. My three cousins, Ryan, Jennifer, and Shane, came to pick me up around 4 p.m., offering an escape from the house. I hopped into the massive white truck and we drove off, leaving me to guess where we were going. About 10 minutes into the drive, I recognized a sign, which caused my eyes to light up. It denoted Silverado Canyon, a place well known for strange goings on. Knowing my love of theatrics, Ryan put on some music fitting for a spooky atmosphere, and we drove on, finding a little community which seemed a bit wary of our arrival. We stopped at a small convenience store to get snacks for the journey, and when we got to the counter, I pulled out my debit card. The older man behind the counter appeared as though he were no stranger to hard work. He stared at us for a moment, almost in confusion, before informing the group that he only took cash. Ryan gladly paid for the snacks, and we were on our way. As we continued driving, we passed by a few houses where the residents on their porches stared at our truck. I wasn't sure about my cousins, but I was starting to feel a little uncomfortable, like we weren't supposed to be there, or welcomed there. The lonely road ended in a turnaround, which is where we stopped to stretch our legs and look around. Ryan spotted a fire road in the distance, which led up to the top of the mountain. That was where we wanted to be, but we didn't know where the entrance to that fire road was. So we turned around to head back to the convenience store to ask for directions. As we drove down the residential street, something felt different. All the residents who were out on their porches not that long ago were gone, and all the lights in the houses were off. The street now looked deserted. I tried not to overthink it as we pulled up to the convenience store, but it was now closed up tight. No lights, no people, no nothing. 
The building looked even older and more dilapidated in the dark, as if it hadn't been in business for years. I was really starting to feel uncomfortable now, but my cousins didn't seem phased and came up with a plan B for our adventure. Ryan suggested we go up to the cell phone tower, which offered a wide view of the cities below. We found the road that would take us up, luckily unblocked by gates. I looked at the sky and noticed how much darker it had gotten. I glanced at the time and realized that more than three hours had passed, even though it felt like barely an hour. Just then, we heard the sound of a loud engine. An old man with white hair wearing a black suit and white button-down shirt drove by in a black vintage Model A Ford. We decided to follow him, but not too close so that we caused him to worry. But honestly, it seemed like he hadn't even seen us. After about a thousand feet or so, the sound of the engine simply stopped and the headlights had disappeared. We checked left and right for any sign of a small road that he might have turned down, but there was nothing. Just us and the all-consuming darkness of night. We only had the headlights of our truck to see by as the road slowly wound its way up the mountain. When we got to the top, we saw the cities below with the numerous lights from buildings and cars, but no sign of the mysterious driver. All was quiet. There was nobody else around us. At least, not anyone living in our time. It felt as though we were being watched by numerous eyes staring at us from just out of reach. We got back into the truck and continued down the road back to civilization, grabbing dinner at a late-night diner and discussing what had just happened. The only explanation that we had for the missing hours and people was that we found a time paradox. I've heard stories, but never thought in my wildest dreams that we would ever find one. I hope you liked my adventure. I still have more to tell you. Until then, Jocelyn. So the first time I ever heard about a time slip was from my friend, whose mother and aunt stopped for gas in a cute little town on their way to Myrtle Beach. And on their way back, the town was completely abandoned. And I've since heard many more like this, and I'm convinced this is more common than we think. It reminds me of this theory that suggests that the past, present, and future are all happening at once, and we as humans can only experience it one second at a time. Think of the universe as a book. There's a beginning and an end, and everything that's ever happened or will happen is contained in that book. You can only read one word at a time, but the entire story already exists. So what if these time slips are created when the pages of that book bend or tear, shifting words into a different order? Chapter 4. It Takes a Village. Submitted by Michael. Years ago, when the remake of Cape Fear came out, I rented it for my family to watch together one night. My grandma was still alive at the time, and she was visiting us with my grandpa, so they joined us. At the end of the movie, the antagonist is drowning and staring at the family as he is going down in the water. This scene instantly brought my grandma into an intense, crying, yet laughing uproar. 
We asked her if she was okay, and she motioned with her hands and insisted that she was fine. The movie ended, and we all turned back to my grandma and asked her what that outburst was all about. She told us that the scene in the movie reminded her of an event from when she was a little kid in her village in Mexico, and she began to tell us her story. It all started late one night while she was lying awake in bed. A figure walked past her open window. She turned her head toward it to see who it was. Suddenly, an arm reached in and tried to grab her. She screamed and ran to her mom and dad, my great-grandparents. Her dad got his rifle and hurried outside to catch the creep. By the time he got to the other side of my grandmother's room, no one was there. Then, a few days later, a traveling violinist came into the village and knocked on my grandmother's door. Hola, senorita. My name is Miguel. I'm a traveling violinist, and I was wondering if I could offer you some help around the house in exchange for temporary lodging. My grandmother told him that they didn't need any help, but there was an elderly lady who lived nearby and that he might have some luck there. So the violinist went to the old woman's house and knocked. A short, wrinkly woman with faded eyes opened the door. Hola, senora. My name is Miguel. I'm a traveling violinist, and I was wondering if I could offer you some help around the house in exchange for temporary lodging. The small woman nodded. That would be wonderful. I have a few things that need to be fixed. She gestured for him to come in, and he took his bags into the living room. Another man came into the house right after him. The woman nodded at him, as did Miguel, but the man seemed very distracted and in a hurry and quickly went into the bedroom. The woman and Miguel began chatting and getting to know each other. She pointed out the things in her room that needed to be repaired, and Miguel took note. Senora, I don't mean to be rude, Miguel said, but may I ask why your son doesn't help you? My son? The woman asked. He doesn't visit enough. Miguel cocked his head. Did I not just see him go into the room? The woman's smile faded. I thought that man was with you. They both turned to the closed bedroom. Miguel grabbed a knife from the kitchen and crept towards the door. He swung it open and held the knife out. There was no one. And nothing. The room was completely robbed, save for the bed. The window was wide open. Miguel and the woman began knocking on all of their neighbors' doors to warn them that there was a strange man breaking into homes. First, my grandma's attempted abduction, and now this? My grandma believed it had to be the same man. There were no police, sheriffs, or deputies in this village. The closest constable was 13 miles away, so they sent for him. No one in the village slept that night. The next day, most of the men went to work on their farms. A woman on the other side of the village was at home, ironing clothes, when a man busted in and grabbed her from behind. She pressed the iron in her hand hard on this man's face, burning him. She started pummeling the guy with her iron. He ran away out the door. The woman ran out after him and called for help. Villagers ran to her, and she explained what had just happened. As she's crying and describing the man, the constable arrived. One of the villagers spotted the man with a burned face running away, and they chased him to a pond just outside of the village. He stood at the edge of the water, surrounded by the constable, his men, and the angry villagers. He had nowhere to go except into the water. He jumped into the pond and swam to the center. 
All the villagers, including my grandma, circled the pond, ensuring that he couldn't come out even if he tried. As he reached the center, he was completely submerged up to his eyes. My grandma said she would never forget those eyes, peering over the water, staring out at everybody with such silent hatred. Then he began to sink slowly until he was eventually completely submerged. Minute after minute passed by, and he hadn't come up. After an hour had passed, they were convinced that there was no way he was still alive, and the villagers started trickling back home. The constable and a few men stayed behind, just in case the man's body floated up to the surface. But it never did. The constable ordered the pond be drained, but there were absolutely no bodies found. It remains a mystery who that man was, what he wanted, and how no one could find his body. My grandma never forgot those few days, nor the violinist Miguel, who eventually became a full-time resident of the village and taught my grandma the violin. This was one of the very first emails I received when I first started this podcast. It's always stuck with me, but I had never found an opportunity to include it in an episode until now. The skeptic in me wonders how much is just the misremembering of a young girl. But the storyteller in me is absolutely obsessed with the fact that there was a strange man who disappeared without a trace. He wasn't in the pond long enough to have decomposed, and even then there would be remnants of his bones or clothing in the water. He left as mysteriously as he appeared. Which makes me wonder if he was ever of our world to begin with. What do you think? I don't expect any of you to walk away from this episode with a newfound belief that alternate realities exist. But in my experience, lucid dreaming makes me feel like they do. If you want to try it out for yourself, here's a couple tips. The most important tip is to not put too much pressure on yourself at the beginning. It's a skill that requires a lot of practice. Also, try listening to lucid dreaming meditation tracks before you go to sleep. You can find a lot of free ones on YouTube. Keep a journal by your bed so that when you wake up, you can immediately write down everything you remember from your dream. The more often you do that, the better you'll become at retaining that information. And my favorite trick, assign yourself a symbol. It can be absolutely anything. Whatever pops into your head first is usually the best option. Then, visualize that symbol throughout the day. Eventually, that symbol will appear in your dream, and when it does, you'll realize that you're dreaming. And then, you're free to explore your alternate reality. Have fun! Thank you for joining me today. Have you ever experienced an alternate reality? Send me an email at storieswithsapphire at gmail.com. If you like what you heard and would like to support this independently run show, consider becoming a member of my Patreon. Visit patreon.com slash storieswithsapphire to learn more. And don't forget to subscribe to youtube.com slash sapphiresandalo, where I post an animated spooky story every other week. Salamat and good night. Stories with Sapphire is created and produced by me, Sapphire Sindalo. 
Music written by Sapphire Sindalo. Special thanks to Nola, Emily, Jocelyn, and Michael. For more information on this episode, visit storieswithsapphire.com. <laughs>